that we might run the straight race through God's good grace. Let's first turn to the Belgic Confession. And I read that as a matter of reference to our scripture text. Article 37 in the back of our Trinity Psalter hymnal, page 870. 870. Begins with these wonderful words. Finally, we believe. When we read through the Belgic, most of the articles all begin with we believe. And to think of what it is to believe. And what a great gift it is that God gives his people to believe his word of truth. As we travel this pathway of life, seeking the life to come. Article 37, the last judgment. Finally, we believe. According to God's word that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge, men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. Then the books, that is the consciences, will be opened And the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world, whether good or evil. (coughs) Indeed, all people will give an account of all the idle words they have spoken, which the world regards as only playing games. And then the secrets and the hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful uh, to wicked and evil people. But it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect. Since their total redemption will then be accomplished, they will then receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all. And they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal, only to be tormented in the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before his Father and the holy elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes and their cause at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers 
will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So far, we hear the words of our Belgic Confession with prayer in our heart, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. To the scriptures, we turn to the Gospel of Luke, 17th chapter, Luke chapter 17, we're going to begin reading at verse 20. God speaks to us thus, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And then as a text, we read that small little verse, verse 32, Remember, Lot's wife. We thank the Lord for his word. We know that while the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God uh, endures forever.
Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, during Jesus' public ministry, he was often asked about the coming kingdom of God. Those of the Jewish faith eagerly anticipated the arrival of this kingdom. The Pharisees were no different. They and their many followers were like many other citizens of Palestine who were looking forward to the arrival of an outward, earthly, visible, political kingdom. One in which the Jews would occupy a very prominent place. And they lived for this moment with great anticipation. They were so anxious to know when it would be established that these Pharisees were willing to ask even the one they despised, the Lord Jesus Christ, about its coming. To their question, Jesus, as he had done before, taught them that the kingdom of God was so much different than what they had imagined it to be. After a short address to the Pharisees, he continues with his disciples. The kingdom that will finally be ushered in does not come with outward observation. That is to say, one cannot, like a weather forecaster, predict its arrival. Yes, the kingdom will come, but not by conquering armies with multitudes of soldiers and horsemen and, in our language today, tanks and fighting airplanes. Rather, it will come when the vast majority of people least think of the coming of the king and his kingdom. And while they are so busy with the ordinary pursuits of life that it catches them completely off guard. But the king is coming. Perhaps in our lifetime, when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, we do that together in remembrance of him until he come again. And connected to the Lord's Supper, of course, is the fact that we're looking forward to the banqueting table of eternity. But in the meantime, until that day arrives, it will be as in the days of Noah when the flood came unexpectedly upon the earth with its devastating destruction. Now remember, Noah had been preaching with his hammer, uh, preaching for 120 years. There was a message told and a message to be heard, but there were deaf ears. It will be as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when brimstone without any warning suddenly rained down and devastated the inhabitants of the valley. Now our Savior often included warning in his preaching and teaching concerning the gospel of salvation and no less today. God's pulpits, his preachers, must include warning for those who have ears to hear. In the midst of his sermon about the coming of the Son of Man and his kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ inserts a very brief sentence in our language of only three words, but it is a sentence full of meaning and admonition. Remember Lot's wife. And we do well to ask ourselves, how are we to understand this word for our own pilgrim journey. No doubt the story is familiar to most of us. And by using the example of Lot's wife, the Lord Jesus holds before his followers, his disciples, as we are called to be, 
the fact that, that we should be so prepared for his return that in our thoughts and words and deeds that the Lord Jesus would always find a place in the foreground. And that what we do, even in our ordinary daily activities, activities that are to be conducted in obedience to the triune God, that we might fully well know that we are travelers, travelers. And so may our great God once again use his holy word today to impress the warning of Jesus into our hearts. And that word of God preached comes to us in the simple theme of our text, remembering Lot's wife. And in the first place, we we need to remember Mrs. Lot in her privileges, her privileges. Secondly, to remember Mrs. Lot in her destruction. And then thirdly, to remember her in her unbelief. Lot's wife in her privileges. When we remember her in that way, we do that, and then it's not out of place to recall that Mrs. Lot was privileged far above most of the women of her day. Her first great privilege was that she was married to Lot, a nephew of Abraham, the friend of God. Lot, too, was one of our Heavenly Father's children, for we read in Second Peter chapter 2 that God delivered righteous Lot, righteous Lot. Lot, despite his many shortcomings and sins, there were many, he was a God-fearing man. The Bible makes it clear that Lot was wrong in pitching his tent toward Sodom and eventually living there. But the fact remains, he, he did go with Abraham to the land of Canaan because he believed the covenant promises which God made to Abraham about the future coming of Christ and his kingdom. Mrs. Lot had a believing husband. She enjoyed the advantage of knowing what he believed and from what principles he lived. She knew his hopes and his love. But being married to a Christian does not assure us of being a Christian ourselves. Nor does it guarantee that we will be heaven bound to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember Lot's wife. And then we also note a second great privilege. Mrs. Lot was in the company of two of the heroes of faith. Both Abraham and Sarah are mentioned in the book of Hebrews as outstanding God-fearing people who walked by faith. Abraham is even called the father of all believers, a friend of God. Abraham heard and obeyed the call of God to leave all and to go to the land that God would show him. Mrs. Lot, together with her husband, journeyed with Abraham and Sarah. And together they went up and down through the Canaan. Together they talked of God's command and his covenant promises. She saw Abraham in his unwavering faith throughout the years. And this was a rare privilege shared only by those close to Abraham and Sarah. And again, to have the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters in the faith, to hear the gospel faithfully proclaimed, the sacraments administered, to enjoy the communion of the saints 
also as we exercise hospitality to one another, to go to a Christian school, to attend Sunday school, to catechism classes, church societies. They're all great and wonderful privileges, but it's no guarantee that we ourselves are Christians. Mrs. Lott enjoyed these benefits according to the standards of her time. She was not a Christian. Remember Lot's wife. And then in the third place, she knew the story of the flood with its interpretation. She knew that the unbelieving world was punished for their ungodliness and that Noah with his seven relatives were saint. She knew church history and should have learned from it. We too must consider the privilege of of knowing the history of God's people, the rich history as it is given to us, as it comes to us infallibly in the pages of scripture. But also through the course of time as we find it on the pages of church history, as we read accounts of, of believers who stood fast, steadfast in the pilgrim journey. That history has been unfolded, unfolding since uh, the formation of the New Testament church at Pentecost. And we may not be indifferent to our history. We need to know something of our history. But this too is not an assurance that one belongs to the church of the living God. Remember Lot's wife. And then in the fourth place, we must also notice that she experienced God's marvelous deeds of mercy when uh, she and her husband were rescued by Abraham when there was a moment in time her family was taken captive. We can read that in Genesis chapter 14. And no doubt they would have been anxious moments for her. And maybe she even prayed for deliverance. But how many people in a moment of terror will not cry out to God even though they do not live for him day by day? How many soldiers in their foxholes pray with intensity but really do not have saving faith? Foxhole religion and true faith are not the same thing. Remember Lot's wife. Then in the fifth place, she had been hostess to angels on the eve before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Two angels came to lodge in her home. No other person in the entire history of the Bible had overnight visitors as she did. Abraham entertained angels, but they did not stay for the night. And she saw these angels in their work of mercy and in their work of judgment. She saw the inhabitants struck blind by God's power. She knew that God meant business when she with Lot were told to urge the engaged friends of their daughters to come with them and flee from the wrath and the judgment that was to come upon the cities. She entertained angels. But let us also remember that she was not prepared to meet her God when sudden destruction came upon her world. What privileges 
she enjoyed. And yet the Lord Jesus uses her as a warning to all those who have ears to hear in the context that speaks of the sudden coming of the Son of Man at the end of time. Never forget, congregation, with privilege comes great responsibility. And if sudden destruction were to come upon us, it could be in a moment of a what we call a, an accident or heart failure or through sickness, may it be, may it be that we shall not open our eyes in the place where Lot's wife is now already suffering the, the pains of untold agony. Let us not forget Lot's wife in her privileges. And then let us also in the second place remember Lot's wife in her destruction. It was a sudden destruction. Here she was on the way to escape. From all appearances she was now safe. Yes, it had been hard to depart. But the two angels had convinced Lot, Mrs. Lot, and their two daughters engaged to be married to flee. The Bible says that they even took their hands, as it were, to pull them along. But whether it was curiosity, pity, or longing of the things she left behind, her heart, her heart was still in Sodom. She could not resist from looking back. Oh, for one last look. And suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, she was destroyed. And she stood in the presence of her creator, where she had to give an account for the things done in the body. Every idle word. An account for her privileges. Yes, two will be in the field, the one will be taken, and the other will be left. In this case, Mrs. Lot was taken, and Lot was left. And this is the way it will be once again when the Lord Jesus returns in the second coming, bringing with him God's kingdom. And not only was her destruction sudden, it was also final. When she suddenly became a pillar of salt, she never had another opportunity to make amends, an opportunity to repent. She could never again hear the gospel from the lips and the heart of her husband. She could never again hear Abraham tell about the sweet promises of the faithful covenant God and how precious it, it was to be a friend of God. Never again she would be permitted to entertain angels. Instead, she would be doomed to the companionship of those in hell, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now she would be in the presence of demons. Yes, the Bible tells us, teaches us, directs us to believe. It is appoint appointed for a man to die once and then the judgment the bible says today today while you hear the voice of god do not harden your heart for mrs lot there was a tragic finality of which she had no recourse and of which you and i 
we may never forget. Jesus told us so. Jesus made reference to her life for the very purpose that we too would be warned so that we too might be prepared for the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mrs. Lot, she may have had an historical faith, but she did not have a saving faith. In fact, it would seem that Mrs. Lot felt right at home in Sodom. She was not preparing for the judgment to come. And Jesus, by his word to us in Luke 17, reminds us, be ready. Be ready for when I come. Yes, she she only took but one look. That's all it took. Inwardly, Mrs. Lot yearned for those whom she left behind. And in the end, she got what she wanted. In the moment of death, she joined those of Sodom and Gomorrah, whom the Lord destroyed because of their wickedness. A very short word from our Savior. But these words reach far back into history. And may they also reach far back into our hearts and souls and serve to push us forward into that time when our Savior will suddenly come upon the clouds and in the twinkling of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, if we still be here on earth, we shall stand before the judgment seat. Now, our Savior has instructed us, and we need to listen to his instruction to be ready. And we need to ask ourselves, I need to ask myself, how am I getting ready? What am I doing to prepare? In our daily coming and going, do, do we do so in, in the awareness that our Lord could come back at any time, that you could be called out of time into eternity? And finally, in the third place, let us remember Lot's wife in her unbelief. The sad thing about Mrs. Lot is not that she turned into a pillar of salt, but that in her scale of values, in her scale of values, she placed earth above heaven and material things above spiritual. Her heart was worldly. It was one with the citizens of Sodom and not one with the heart of her husband. Her treasure was in the world. And Jesus has told us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In unbelief, she lived for this life, and she didn't think enough about the life to come. You might say that she was an example of outwardly, morally fine people of the world, some who even go to church for the sake of respectability who enjoy the enjoyments of life, the so-called worldly Christian. She was not an unbeliever in the sense that she militantly fought against the cause of Christ as we see so many do in our society today, from the highest offices of our land, elected officials pushing against the truth of God's word, but rather in the sense that she never really enjoyed the singing of the songs of Zion or the confession of faith, or the study of God's word, the giving of the gifts, or the attentive listening to the preached word of God, 
The things of God were not a positive power in her life. And this unbelief became very evident when the angels taking her by the hand, giving her the specific command not to look back. She disobeyed. She rejected the word of the Lord. And so we see that she was an unbeliever in the sense that the word of God was not a power in her heart to salvation. She shows, as one pastor once noted, that there's a difference between a believer who believes the Bible historically and a true believer who believes the scriptures unto salvation. The pull of the world was too much for her. No sooner had the angels gone, no sooner had they let go of her hand, than she began to wonder about her goods that are being burned, about her friends that were dying. She failed to to think about how marvelous God was in sending her and her family the warning to flee from the wrath to come. She had a backward worldly look instead of a forward heavenly look she looked in spite of the warning she looked because in the inward core of her heart she remained unconverted she remained an unbeliever despite her rich heritage and the experiences that were hers she died an unbeliever and received an unbeliever's reward. Remember Lot's wife. Because most of us gathered here this morning in this beautiful assembly hall in the sanctuary of the Lord. Most of us have experienced far, far more privileges than Mrs. Lot's. Most of us reared in Christian homes, exposed to Reformed teaching and preaching for years, faithful preaching, possessors of God's covenant promises, the record of church history. We have the scriptures in our hands, the scriptures that tell us of those who have gone before us, The scriptures that record for us the work of our Savior. The Savior who who set his, his face like flint one way to the cross as he journeyed to Jerusalem. The Savior of whom Hebrews 12 records these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the words. Looking to Jesus, forward looking, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now suppose Jesus should come tomorrow and we should know the day before that he's coming. Would we be glad about his coming? 
What does a moment of self-examination say to us? We're sorry because there is so much that we think we might lose. We have a beautiful home and it would be too bad that it was destroyed. A prosperous farm that would no longer be ours. Perhaps you have some friends in the world whose companionship you would miss. What Jesus was holding before his followers and also his people here gathered this morning is that we should be so prepared for his return that in the whole of life we always put him first, doing everything out of love for him and thus the triune God. Is it so in our lives? Oh, how we need to be encouraged and challenged over and again to make it so, to pray for that grace that it would be so. It should trouble us. There are so many who desecrate the ways of the Lord, desecrate the Lord's day, making it unholy. And are we alarmed at the ease at which we might adopt the philosophy of the unbeliever with respect to what is called a holiday or leisure activities or celebrations? And all of these temptations, let us remember Lot's wife. And let the wife of Lot rewarn us against half-heartedness. Let us not be of those who have too much of the Christian religion to be happy in the world and too little to be happy in the church. Such people are still worldly and like Mrs. Lot in their inmost being. One pastor once said, Our Savior spoke these words as a warning in the midst of his sermon of his coming on the clouds to judge the living and the dead. And then those short words, a warning indeed. But also a word of encouragement. In realizing the truth, we we are driven once again to our Savior. That's part of the beauty of the Lord's Supper, to be driven to our Savior, that we might put our trust and confidence in Him. Jesus does not merely warn, He's also urging us to trust Him, urging us, and to escape the wrath to come, urging us to look forward, look forward to the great day of days. And again, to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an attitude of take it or leave it, but a gracious warning to escape by taking up the yoke of Christ and learning of him so that we may find rest for our souls in the midst of the troubles of this world. It is a gracious invitation to examine our hearts where, whether we be ready should he come upon the clouds in that humanly unexpected moment. Mrs. Lot was not ready. She was not prepared for the last judgment. And we need to ask ourselves, am I? Am I? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation Remember Lot's wife. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for 
the word of God which speaks to every aspect of life. We thank thee, Lord, for gracious warnings, the warning note that our Savior gave us. And we pray, Lord, with all earnestness of heart and faith to help us to be ready. We face so many distractions. And Lord, we we want to plead with thee for the work of the Holy Spirit to, to poke us and to prod us day by day to remember and believe. To remember that we have been set aside as a peculiar people. To remember that we have a calling to answer. To remember that in our privileges, we must answer our responsibilities. Lord, whether we are young or whether we are older, Lord, we pray, help us. We look forward to the day when Christ shall return. And we confess what a day it will be. And we pray, Lord, that all of us here may may be anticipating that day with joy and be ready for it. So bless us now on our way. Bring us back together in the afternoon hour and hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.